welcome to File Under Entertainment Podcast with Dylan and Eric. I'm Dylan. And I'm Eric. This is our first episode, Dylan. Our very first one. It's a momentous moment. It is indeed. Like, what are you, what's going through your mind right now? How are you feeling? Are you prepared to talk about this, about these movies? Oh, I'm fearful. Why are you fearful? I, I'm scared of the unknown, and this is an unfil- unfamiliar activity for me. Well, I think we're doing pretty well. I think we're getting right into it, rolling right away. Rolling in the deep. Indeed, as one might say. So, uh, I, I think we start with A, right? Yeah, it, it, it I, is A. We, we went over it in the introductory thing. I think it goes okay. A, B, C. It's just a little bit of rehash thing, so here we go. Let's get to it. So for our first episode uh, in movies, we obviously started with A, uh, and Dylan's choice was... I made Eric watch Across the Universe because he hates the Beatles. <laughs> okay, let's... All right. We're just getting right into it. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, okay, I'm going to go on record saying that I'm appreciative for the existence of the Beatles because they're, you know, the majority of the bands and artists and everything that I love and admire wouldn't exist if not for the existence of the Beatles. So I appreciate them from that standpoint. The thing that I have umbrage with is like everybody, all the pundits and all these people saying the Beatles were the best band ever that ever was. No, they just came around at a time when no one else really sounded like that. It could have been, like, literally anyone. They were not good musicians. They were, like, pretty horrible lyricists. Um, I just, I don't, I don't understand. I, I really, I really don't understand. I'll agree that they're overrated, but the thing I like about them is they didn't stick to one genre. I mean, that doesn't really happen a lot with, like, pop bands now because it's so controlled by like the higher up people so it's interesting to see like what a band like that what a pop band like that could do when they kind of were given free reign and they didn't stick to one single genre they i mean I, i'm sure the acid helped with a lot of this <laughs> yeah, stuff. it certainly couldn't have hurt but also okay from that same standpoint okay yes they were groundbreaking in the in the respect that there was no one that had sounded like that before, but okay, so now to take all of the decades that have come since and to talk about music that no one really sounds like that or no one has that kind of you know groundbreaking ability anymore is not fair because it's a, a totally different time. Mm-hmm. You know, rock music was still in its infancy and they came right. when they came about, and so for them to do anything different was looked at as like, oh my God, this is earth shattering. Mm-hmm. No one can really do that now because a lot of the stuff has been done before. You know, the people that do um, take risks and defy their genre to try to find, you know, a different sound are like ridiculed or critically panned. People well, are like, and- oh, well, it's not like it was before. Well, see, it's like, you know, so the, the same thing that you were praising the Beatles for doing is the thing that people lambast new artists for doing, trying to, trying to evolve, trying to stay relevant, trying to find a, a new sound. It's such a lazy thing, I think, for like Rolling Stone and all the magazines and all the people that say, oh, the Beatles are the best band. Like, really? I mean, I mean, I don't even think like anyone can say what the best band is because best isn't like, like anything. It's in the eye of the beholder. If you think it's the best band, it's the best band in your world, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, everything, it's a Rating bands and stuff, like, what are you rating it on? Like, importance? Like, uh, 
uh, technical <laughs> yeah, merit, like yeah, something like that is completely subjective. But yet you almost always see. I'm sure if you were to take rock critics, maybe not so much now because enough time has passed where um, the Beatles aren't probably as relevant as they were before. But you know, certainly uh, rock critics from the the 70s, 80s, even the 90s would all definitely say, yes, the Beatles are the number one band, and probably by a long by a long slide you know there might be the one that's just trying to be different that would say the rolling stones or something in, in place of the right. beatles but nine out of the ten of those people are going to say the beatles are the best band of all time and i just okay again in terms of influence on all the music that came after it absolutely no question but musically lyrically they're like average at best dude like i i mean I'll just, this was going to be one of my final points uh, from the movie. The best part to me of the fact that people were singing their music was that it was different people singing the music and that I didn't have to listen to the Beatles singing. <laughs> Jesus. Honestly, I. I mean, I, I. I don't think you've listened to like enough of them to know that they were like very good with their instruments and Paul McCartney especially was like an incredible songwriter. They have a lot of songs where they have like a complete orchestra and f to be able to compose like that, I've always been in awe at people who can do that. But that's just me. And I know you're not going to go out of your way to go and oh, well, I need to go listen oh, to that me. orchestra yeah, okay, by so Paul McCartney. I I guess this is probably something that we'll since we're recording our first episode before we do the introductory episode. I'm sure we're going to this is going to be rehashing for the people that listen to that afterwards. But we're brothers and we're best friends. But there is a 13 year difference between us. So there was a 13 years that I was around where you weren't. That trust me. Dad like played a lot of Beatles, so I no, heard I, I know. Yeah. a crap ton of the friggin' Beatles, like enough where I, I I'm very familiar with their their catalog yeah. and their offerings. There's something similar to that. Uh, Melody, my girlfriend, was talking about like a Beatles song that her like history teacher would play like every day. She had the greatest hits CD, and she said, "If you guys do good." then I'll let you listen to some music. But apparently she didn't know how to switch tracks. So every every time they did good, they would listen to Penny Lane. Oh, Jesus. Um, so anytime I put that song on, she just doesn't want to listen to yeah, it. I can imagine just like immediately shut down. I think that if I was in that, that class, I would be as disruptive as possible. I'd be like, <laughs> send me to the principal's office, expel me. You know, I don't get me away listen. from Penny Lane. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to listen to this. It is song not again. in my head, nor my heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, a little bit of a, a rundown uh, on the movie for those who aren't familiar. Uh, and I guess probably 20 minutes too late but we will be spoiling the crap out of these movies so anyone that hasn't seen these that has any interest should probably stop and go and watch these to follow along i mean we're not going to go beat by beat but it, enough of the movie will be discussed that it's going to spoil the crap out of it fair assessment right yeah okay. so this movie is from 2007 Starring Jim Sturgis and Evan Rachel Wood, which I was pleasantly surprised by because I, again, like Dylan mentioned, I had no uh, idea what, the, I mean, I knew this movie was about the Beatles music. I had no idea who was in it or anything else about it. So uh, 
directed by Julie Taymor, written by Dick Clement, Ian LaFrenaise. I probably nailed that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. And also Julie Taymor. So she did double duty in writing portions and directing it. So uh, why don't you give me your assessment? Like the, I have the IMDb description here of what the movie is. Why don't you give me in your own words what the movie is about? Um, I think it's, it's a love story with like a lot of like historical stuff based in the sixties. It, it talks about like a lot of the turmoil from like the Vietnam war and the protests. And, uh, I think they even talked about what was it? The Detroit riots. Yes. They talked about that as well. And they have a lot of different characters going through a lot of different things. And I, I don't know. There's so, my synopsis. Yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty like spot on to what IMDb says. Uh, this says, The music of the Beatles and the Vietnam War formed the backdrop for the romance between an upper-class American girl and a poor Liverpoolian artist. Okay. He's so, a I mean, poodle. <laughs> you were... Actually, you gave more information than this. That, I mean, I'm sure they were just trying to be... Cliff brief. notes for... Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so the first note that I have written down here, because I, I watched this with Megan, my wife, uh, and she said... <laughs> so Megan said three times in the first six minutes, is this a fucking musical? Because <laughs> I, no, I had no idea that it was a musical. I thought, thought, it, I, I, thought I told you no, it was a musical. No, like, we were talking about... Moulin Rouge, and you were going to make me watch Moulin Rouge, which is obviously a musical. Right. But you didn't mention that this was a musical. I thought this was a movie that just featured the was music. Was like about the Beatles? No, no, no. Not about the Beatles, but just like f- featured their music. Okay. You know, like any place that there was a, a music interstitial or anything like that, it would be Beatles songs. Edited, and then like okay. immediately, uh, Jude is sitting on the beach and he starts singing. <laughs> She's right. like, this is a fucking musical. <laughs> So, so I take it she hates musicals as well. Yeah, not big fans. But yet, Disney's Alice in Wonderland, which is an animated musical, she was singing all the songs. So it's like, I guess it's just a musical that... Because, I mean, she she certainly likes the Beatles more than I do. I mean, but she's not like a, a huge fan. But um, I guess we just, neither one of us was prepared for it to be a musical. <laughs> Um, so very early on is the scene with Jude when he's welding at the docks and she says, if he's welding and then he breaks in a song, I'm going to fucking freak out. <laughs> no, okay. So that didn't happen. He didn't break in a song immediately. So with she the didn't welding. freak out. She so didn't that freak was out. Good. So that was, a, that was a positive, but yeah, I, what I like about across the universe is they, they didn't just do the songs how they were they they did a lot of transformative stuff with the songs and what i really like is they were able to put them in where they didn't sound out of place none of the songs in my opinion sounded out of place they always fit the what the characters were doing or like where the plot was at that point and i think the singing's really good i i really like a lot of the directing and the cinematography i think a lot of the imagery that they use was like really beautiful yeah that's one note that i did make was that it's a very visually striking film and it has really good cinematography um and i thought that was best represented like later on in the film in the strawberry fields segment when they're kind of intercepting the vietnam war 
with Max, what he was going through right. versus what Lucy and, and Jude were going through. I thought that was a, a really excellent done piece and and that is a halfway decent song it's not completely annoying so (laughs) don't roll your eyes uh so i thought that 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 was really well done i like that it it represents a gay woman in the 1960s yeah that was cool i mean i i liked the way that see to you just to kind of touch on what you were saying before that you didn't think that anything seemed out of place I thought that that seemed kind of like a stretch, like just Prudence is introduced out of nowhere with a song. And I I did like the way that it was framed in that you're meant to assume that she's pining for like the high school quarterback when really it's the cheerleader and you don't realize that until like the very last second. That that scene did seem kind of like forced because it it would... In my opinion, it was, like, shot in a way where you didn't really know if this person was going to be, like, a main character. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I thought that it would have been better served had she been... Introduced e- prior. Even briefly, just right. with, a you know, like, a speaking part, even if it was just, you know, three lines with a friend or whatever, and be like, you know, she could have been talking to... No, uh, talking to the cheerleader. cheerleader, yeah. They couldn't even made it, you know, like, a, a unisex name so that it wouldn't have given it away, you know? Well, like, that, Jamie looks so good today, blah, 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 yeah. whatever. You know, instead it's just, like, she breaks into song, and you're like, okay, what the hell is this? Well, the, the reason she wouldn't have been able to talk, like, openly about that is... Uh, remember the scene with Dear Prudence when she was in the closet? Yeah, I mean, that was, was like very yeah, literal nose, metaphor right? for her coming out of the closet sure. when she had the crush on Sadie. Sure. And I, and I get that and totally understand and appreciate that. But, but yet, she did need to have some kind of dialogue where it just wasn't the song instantly. I, right. Well, and so, but I, and I don't know if it was so much like a construct on, on her part, like trying to conform or, you know, she was trying to fit into society's norms or whatever, but when she's actually introduced to the main group, like Jude and Max in the, you know, the, the main house, that Sadie's house that they're living in, she comes in, like, beaten up by a, what she says is a boyfriend. So it's like, okay, if she's gay, why does she and, have a and boyfriend? And she also mentioned that she, I mean, it, it's mentioned that she had a relationship with Max, too. So maybe she was, like you were saying, trying to be what society wanted her yeah. to be. Either that or she was bisexual, but later on in the movie, it's pretty clear that she's not interested in right. men. Yeah. So I think it's more of like a conformity issue. Yeah, that makes which, sense. Yeah, which is a good thing to like cover, but I mean, they kind of just... Uh, glossed over Glossed it. over it. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, they kind of glossed over... A lot of stuff, it seems. Like. I mean, it makes sense with how much it was trying to talk about. Because yeah. they were trying to put, like, the whole era into, like, one thing. Sure. And just... But that's why I kind of would feel like... I mean, again, to touch on what you were saying, like, for the most part, I'm in agreement that the songs didn't feel like they were out of place. But when you're trying to write and construct a story based solely around a song i think it you kind of lose a lot of the narrative that you would normally be going for i mean i guess a lot of movies especially in today's day and age there's a lot of exposition and this kind of is good from a standpoint that it's not holding your hand through it you have to make some of the assumptions on your own um 
So it's not like, you know, browbeating, like, oh, this is exactly what's going on. You have to, you know, do a little bit of thinking, which I appreciate. But some of it, again, like talking about the prudence thing, it's just out of nowhere. It's like, are we supposed to care about this person? Oh, right. we do. We we are later, you know, 20 yeah. minutes later when we find out that she, that she actually is. Yeah, she's character. introduced okay. like very, like introduced, introduced very late in yeah. the film. I mean, it's a two hour movie, so it anything is really late especially when she was introduced because yeah. you'd see her briefly in a couple scenes where she's hitchhiking to try to get to new york yeah i i did like that and it goes back to the whole the visual i liked how they you know connected the characters mm-hmm. in interesting ways because i i think um which she wasn't she, she was getting off a bus or something mm-hmm. as well and it was like across the street from where jude was trying to hitch, hitchhike from or something if I'm remembering right. that correctly. Well, I, I, remember. I also remember um, Max almost hit, uh, I forget his name now, he was the guitarist. Jojo? Yeah, he yeah. almost hit him with the the cab. Yeah, and right. Remember that? So, yeah. it, it, so it was slowly interlocking like all these different characters. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was clever. And yeah, I, again, I'll reiterate, I, I do think that that was definitely, it was very visually stunning and the cine- cinematography was great and the choreography was great <laughs> the, the one um so the scene with max when he was in the like the va hospital and salma hayek is playing like all the different nurses yeah. i think it was happiness is a warm gun was right. the, the song that was cool but the <laughs> just i i couldn't help but laugh because there's like it's very serious stuff like you, you understand yeah. the trauma that max is going through uh-huh. and the song is like a really downbeat song and everything too but yet that freaking like head nurse or or whatever the court the the bishop or whatever was just, just like, like spinning around, around like a yeah. fucking idiot <laughs> and it's like i couldn't help but laugh at how ridiculous it was because it yeah. was the same it was the same guy which i guess was the choreographer so you know props to him for being a good choreographer uh-huh. but he was the same exact dance that he was doing in the street when JoJo was passing, like, with uh, the pimps and the prostitutes and whatever. Right. There's yeah, I did from... think that was a little silly. What did you think of the um, scene when Max was going into the uh, enlistment office? It was weird, but it was cool. I mean, I, I think it was very well done. I thought I, I thought that when it had all those boxes of, like, it had, like, the the eye exam and yeah, like the that was foot neat. measuring and like all sorts of, yeah, I don't even cool. know if they were measuring a foot. Yeah. Just, I, I, okay. I can't seem to remember that. Well, there was a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. I, I and like with like the, I mean, I want to say faceless, but I mean, obviously they had faces. Yeah. But they're the, like the faceless. Yeah, yeah. They were all very similar looking. It, yeah. It I makes think, you think of like, that's what they do to people in the military. They just make you all look the same and make you all act the same. Well, I think it was meant to be a play on like a GI Joe figure or something like that. Oh. Like a GI Joe doll, well, you that, know, like it was like a, a blocky. Sense. Yeah. Like you said, like a very uniform kind of thing. So I thought that was clever. I thought the, mm-hmm. the uncle Sam poster animation reaching out. At him, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool. That was really well done. Oh yeah. I do have to mention um, very early on in the film, before he leaves, he has a. This isn't going to mean anything to you because you don't care about soccer or you know English football. But <laughs> okay. he had a Liverpool uh, 
flag up on his wall, which makes sense because he's from Liverpool and the Beatles were from Liverpool. Well, I mean, the thing about Liverpool is they always try to walk it in. <laughs> well, that was Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but nice callback to the IT crowd. But yeah, uh, Liverpool, and he had a, the flag that says, this is Anfield. And so I just have to say, he's a scouser twat, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, like football hooliganism thing. Okay. People from Liverpool, like they have that, their specific accent is called like Scouse. And so people from that area are called like Scousers. And, you know, especially with the football, like Liverpool supporters are Scouser twats. So I just had to, I made a note that said that he's a Scouser twat. Yeah, I've just got a, I've got a blank look on my face right now. <laughs> yeah. My eyes are glazing over. <laughs> I... Okay, let's bring it like not, back, let's bring it back to the movie, not to football. Okay. I liked the, um, the scene where they played on the roof um an interesting thing about the beatles was like they did a lot of gigging early on when they were like very strictly like poppy mm-hmm. and then they saw how like bat shit everybody was going at their concerts and then they just never gigged again until that um rooftop show and i thought that was like really really interesting they just were a studio band they just made albums they didn't gig at all that's cool. Because they, they saw how fucking crazy everybody was going over yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. You know, I, yeah, I had always just seen, um, like, the, the footage or whatever of people fainting and just going crazy and yeah. whatever. So I just assumed that they were constantly doing world tours and everything. No, and like, they, they stopped doing it, like, very early. Hmm. I think the they did one in, like, I think... I may be wrong. I'm possibly very wrong, but <laughs> I, I remember them doing a very large show at this like baseball stadium. Again, might be manufacturing this in my mind, but I think that was their last show. And that was early on in their career. Very, that was when they were doing like songs like "I Want to Hold Your Hand," and... but still popular enough to be able to sell out a baseball stadium or something. But well, yeah, they were. Yeah. They were. I think they were very popular like for very early on in their career when yeah. when they like all looked the same and were <laughs> doing those very like bubblegum pop sure. songs i think the um their label probably had a lot to like do with that i'm i, I don't know <laughs> that may not even be true i have in my notes that the movie features butts so that's <laughs> the movie features butts. It has butts in it. Yeah. Okay. Prominent you, butt scenes. Specifically, you put that in your notes that it has butts, but I, with no it's two like, words, context. it says has butts. <laughs> That's very interesting. And then immediately afterwards, it says it shows the struggle of a shul- sul- It shows the struggle of a soldier returning to the states from Vietnam. <laughs> right. From butts to struggles. Yeah, I get it. Well, yeah. Okay. So in my notes, I have. Evan Rachel Wood boobies. <laughs> so, so like, look, uh, okay, I am a feminist. I'm definitely in support of the sexes being equal. I think that a lot of movies have gratuitous, unnecessary female nudity. And yet, the flip side, as a heterosexual male, I was still like, ooh, boobies, you know? Like, because it kind of was, like, out of nowhere. I mean, it was... He, yeah, he's an artist, and so it was meant to be like, oh, he's he's painting her, and it's an artistic thing, not like a sexual thing, whatever. But it was still Evan Rachel Wood had boobies in the movie, so I was like, okay. 
So did it make you like the Beatles a little bit more or appreciate them a little bit more? Or do you still, I mean, now that you say the thing about dad, I understand why you like kind of despise them. Um, but did you like any of the songs? Did, did, I'll say this. Did you like the movie? Yeah. I, okay. So it's hard to parse that because, you know, the movie doesn't exist without the Beatles. And mm-hmm. so I thought, again, like one of the very first statements I made, I think one of the most annoying things about the movie was the fact that it was music. I think, um, well, specifically their music. I think a lot of the narrative structure was damaged because they were trying to shoehorn around these songs that they were trying to feature. I don't think, I mean, like you mentioned, I'm in agreement that I don't think that the songs felt like out of place. I think that the way that they handled them was well done. I think the performances were were really good. I like the message that she was trying to convey with, you know, the anti-war stuff. I think it it weirdly kind of translates to kind of what's going on today in 2020, you know, Mm -hmm. social unrest, a lot of anxiety about things. Yeah, the riots, especially. Riots, protests. I think, you know, for as much as things change, they stay the same in a lot of respects. And so I thought that this stuff, especially about um, the war, was really well done. But at the end of the day, I think what the story she was trying to get across was that it was a love story. And I think a lot of the love story fell short because aside from the scene at the end, which was, you know, powerful and and moving and, you know, like pulled on your heartstrings kind of thing when he's singing on the, on the rooftop after the cops had, you know, kicked the other band off from performing and she hears that it's him and comes back that, you know, kind of like, yeah, it it makes your tugs on the heartstrings, but it's a, like, we were supposed to be rooting for them as a couple the whole time, right? And a lot of it was just, like, we had the whole Bono, I am the walrus bullshit. Yeah, I really didn't like the Bono scene. I really didn't like the Eddie Izzard scene. Yeah, they were, and both of them were back-to-back. They were back-to-back, and I by far those are the worst pieces in And they were the long movie. stretches. They were very long. The one thing I uh, that you reminded me... Um, for they like really glossed over him thinking that she died in that explosion yeah it's just (laughs) like he read the newspaper and he was all like depressed and then max is in the states singing a song to him i mean i guess it shows that he's like coming to the realization that maybe she's still alive and he he can't just like wait and expect that she's dead you know or accept that she's dead right so he goes over but it didn't really portray that very well and it didn't show like how much he would be struggling if he thought that she was dead right yeah exactly you would think that there would be at least a couple minutes of them exploring that like what does that look like and i guess we're supposed to extrapolate that by okay he's in the bar and he's drinking which means that he's depressed and it's not always but i mean he's from liverpool so any any (laughs) other day he'd be in the bar anyway (laughs) exactly well they even made a joke about that like the bars or the pubs have been open for minutes we're thirsty you know like yeah so that was funny in that same point Megan had said, because she looked at the newspaper, just like I does, you know, how it's presented. And she's like, wait, so what, she died? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, 
So I guess I'll be a little bit contradictory because earlier I was praising them for not like browbeating and providing a bunch of exposition. Mm -hmm. But that's one instance where I would think that, okay, yeah, they should explore this a little bit. Right. Instead of just like also another thing that they could have done with some exposition of any sort was just like, okay, he got booted out of the country for an immigration issue mm-hmm. because he was there illegally and he had been arrested, so he was deported. But yet, all of a sudden, he's just he was very to just cross the border. very easily got in. Yeah, into... with no problem whatsoever. Like, he even looked like he had apprehension, you know, when he was at Ellis Island or whatever the hell, like, trying to get back in. Uh-huh. And the guy just stamps his passport and is like, okay, like, so he was kicked out for no reason then because apparently he could have been there the whole time. I just uh, well, I I think I so. think it's supposed to show like it's supposed to be like months had passed. He'd been in Liverpool or whatever for yeah. like a long time, and he was because you can't just immigrate in like a split second, right? Yeah, no, I mean that, I'm that's a... what I I watched it with Melody and her friend Heather, and we were like talking about like oh well it it wouldn't be that quick, but then I was like. Well, I also don't want to sit here for five hours watching him go through the immigration <laughs> process. So. Yeah, no, that I totally agree with. And, I, and okay, again, so that's another thing where they kind of sped up the process, not providing the exposition. But, you know, one line kind of thing, like where he is talking to a friend or whatever at the pub. And he's like, yeah, I'm kind of worried about my application. Mm-hmm. You know, just one line, just as simple as that. To or show showing that him it, go through any part of it at all. Something yeah. at all. And instead, it's just like, okay, I guess we're just, just supposed to assume that everything went fine because Max is waiting for it. So obviously, you got yeah. a hold of Max and said, yeah, the, hey, I'm going to be here at this such and such time. So that out. also shows if you talk to Max, he would probably be like, hey, is she still alive? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and they I mean I'm guessing, like, he already knew that she was alive because he asked Max while they were driving the taxi, like, does she, did you tell her that I was coming? Right, but so that, he, isn't that something that the viewer should have seen? Like, he, it, they should have shown, like, the relief on his face when he realized that she's not dead. Right. You know, they should have done something. Yeah. And again, and I just felt like it was kind of rushed, like, really the amount of time, like, it felt like the Eddie Izzard thing, which, I mean, I like him as a person and a performer, but... But it was that, terrible. The, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was absolutely terrible. And that was like 10 fucking minutes of like the him and the Bono thing. Like, you could have done anything else like to, to expound on their relationship or where they're kind of at as people. And, you know, because it, it kind of... It was like a whirlwind start to the romance, right? And then it kind of like... It, it fizzled out just as quickly as it started... And then, but you spent all this time with freaking Eddie Izzard, and, well, and, and so that goes again to like the whole thing where I'm talking about like their lyric writing. Well, I am the Eggman, they are the Eggman, I am the Walrus, yeah. Cuckoo Chew. Well, that's that is when they such were, bullshit. It is, it's, and that's what uh, they were doing like an interview with uh, John Lennon because there's like whole college courses that analyze like their lyrics and stuff and there's an interview with uh john lennon where they're asking him about like that specific stuff like that when they were like dropping acid and everything and he just blatantly came out and said yeah it's all bullshit which i at least appreciate that you know instead of him trying to say like oh yes this existential kind of you know whatever i so i appreciate the honesty and, and instead of trying to make it out to be something more than what it is because that is just complete horseshit. Yeah, I those I don't like Sgt. Pepper's that much. And any any songs that they made I mean Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is a really good song, in my opinion. But a lot of like you know I 
I'm a big lyrics guy. Yeah. So you you can assume that I cannot stand those songs. <laughs> it's just complete bullshit. It warms the heart to hear that. <laughs> yes. Because I mean, I the be- to... it's not like the Beatles are, like, my favorite band or anything. No, I, and I, and I, I know that they're like not. I like a few of their songs. Yeah. Like, probably, like, 10 or 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of them are okay. I mean, it's hard to argue that a lot of them are singable. I mean, like, mm-hmm. every single song that was in there, I knew because I had heard before, or you just hear in passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them, yeah, it's hard not to want to, like, harmonize with or sing along to or hum along to or anything but yeah just okay like the i am the walrus thing that they put a lot of focus on is just such horseshit well i mean it it makes sense that they put them together because they were the way the movie structured it's going through the the different stages that the beatles went through yeah like all the different styles of songs that's the exact order that they were released basically and i thought that was really cool yeah it is clever but that's the problem because i cannot stand that part of their music yeah and at least there was uh lucy in the sky with dying well no that was at the the very very end end that was the end credits but they did have because in there which is like a minute and a half song but i think it's like really really beautiful sounding um i thought that was when you know that's the one where they were all laying down Mm-hmm. in like the pasture yeah but yeah that's the problem if you don't like a specific part of the beatles discography then you're not gonna like a whole portion of the movie <laughs> right. well but i mean if you were to fast forward through that 10 minutes you wouldn't really you wouldn't be missing anything there was no that interaction was a whole, yeah it with, was a waste of time basically yeah. there was no interaction with the main characters there was no uh stuff no story arc that you would miss if you did skip that that's true oh i had a little bit of piece of trivia okay is that jake gyllenhaal actually auditioned and was seriously considered for the role of jude oh my god i don't know how that would have worked i don't know how his singing voice is he's obviously he can do everything (laughs) i'm sure it would have been amazing (laughs) oh would you be on board with seeing that yeah I'll I'll watch anything with Jake Gyllenhaal in it. I mean, he's great. Yeah, I like him too, but I just I don't. No, see... there's no but. You can you can stop with well, he's great. No, it seemed like you were gonna be like that would not work at all. Like you were not on board with it, but then you kind of threw a curveball at me, and then you're like, yeah, no, no that... you you know I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, he's great. I'm in agreement. But could you see you could see him as Jude? Honestly, he's not British, and I'm like, sure he could. I don't act even know British. what his like singing voice is. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to go away from this movie and talk about Moulin Rouge for a second. Ewan McGregor is, like, the main guy in Moulin Rouge, and he had no formal training in singing, and he does, like, a phenomenal job in that movie. They just taught him how to do it. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. if, if Jake Gyllenhaal did anything in theater, I'm sure he can sing. And with the direction of, like, the what do you call it, music gurus that were working <laughs> right, on the movie, yeah. they they could make it work. But now that I've seen, I've seen Across the Universe probably like five times. Okay. I couldn't picture anybody else's Jude, but I don't know how much of that is from me seeing it so many times. Right, yeah, I mean, you got to kind of trust the casting directors that they know what they're doing, right? I mean, I've... Well, like Back to the Future, uh, originally cast Eric Stoltz, who is one of, like, he's not a well-known actor, 
but he's an actor that's really, really good. Uh, he is the main character in Killing Zoe, which is one of the movies that we're going to cover, which I don't know if you've even seen. I don't think I've ever but even heard of But he's that. great, and he was originally cast as Marty McFly, which Michael J. Fox ended up taking over for. And Michael J. Fox is great, and, you know, uh, Megan would kill me because that's one of her, like, all-time favorite movies. She loves Back to the Future, like, all of them. But I would really want to see the version with Eric Stoltz. Like, yeah, Michael J. Fox is fine, good, whatever, but... I'd be interested in seeing an actor that I care for more take on that role. But They could just deep fake his face onto <laughs> him for the whole movie. Well, I guess they ended up doing a lot of recording of it that they had to re-record because he didn't get, like, the comedic like portions, I guess. That oh, they, really? Yeah, I guess hmm. they, they preferred Michael J. Fox's, you know, comedic kind of timing and everything, and Eric Stoltz was playing it a little bit more straight. But he could only do what the director was asking him to do, so they must have shifted, you know, right, pretty late into the game. But yeah, to my point was okay. Yeah, we see Jim Sturgis as Jude because mm-hmm. that's what the casting director wanted, and, and it'd be kind of hard to. Well, I mean, that also that also shows how how like good he played the role then, because if we can't see anybody else as right, yeah, yeah, if he if we can't see anybody else playing him, then he must have done a pretty good job as him. Yeah, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, again, I'm a big fan of hers, and so I didn't know that she was in this movie. And so What the, else is she in? I'm not a big... Uh, uh, she's in Westworld. Um, never seen it. Well, the, the TV show. I've never not seen the movie. it. Well, it's good. Um, she's the main character in that. Uh, she was, like, I think her first role was in 13. Um, that's a really good movie. The uh, serial killer where he's... No. Okay. <laughs> no, just like she's a 13-year-old and... You know, Never. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of something completely different. What are you thinking of? Some kind of machination. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are you ready to move on to our second movie, Alice in Wonderland? Or are, did you have any other comments about I Cross do, Universe? I do not. I think we dove deep into the uh, Beatles ethos. Well, that's the point, right? Is to... Yeah. Well, it, a, an excuse to get together, because, I mean, it, it's been a long time since we've actually had a chance to hang yeah, out. Yeah, we haven't, we were estranged for a long time. We haven't seen each other for about 25 years. <laughs> oh, come on now. That's not true. But it, it it has been a long time. Well, this whole year has just been so weird, and so I'm sure everybody that's listening can attest, and they can, they've got their own issues with this year and how it's played out for them so it's kind of the point for the love the podcast is a an excuse for us to get together and b uh to give some people some entertainment you know maybe they want to hear two idiots opinions on these <laughs> movies that maybe they have or haven't seen well, I was thinking there's nothing like alienating like half of your potential fan base like, like right off the bat because I've yeah. said like how many people love the Beatles and then I just start yeah. off the podcast by saying, oh, they suck and I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So then a lot of people are like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Why the yeah. hell should I listen to him? So, but those people that did stick it out, you know, because those people that, you know, were offended by it, they're long gone now. They turned this off already. Right. So the people that are still sticking around, you're the target audience psychopaths (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
All right, Alice in Wonderland. Okay, Alice in Wonderland, the 1951 Disney classic. Dylan's already huffing because he doesn't agree. Yeah, so. I let out a pretty deep sigh there. Okay. So, I think I thought it was interesting with uh, you giving the your interpretation of the synopsis. So, go ahead and give us a synopsis, and then I'll see oh, how God. closely it matches up. Okay, well, now time to alienate some more people. <laughs> um, so, Alice goes into this fantastical nonsense world where everything is backwards and meaningless and then you spend an hour and a half listening to a bunch of gibberish and then the movie ends <laughs> oh, wow how dare you sir <laughs> how very dare you okay so the imdb synopsis is not too far off from what you said <laughs> uh alice stumbles into the world of wonderland will she get home not if the queen of hearts has her way yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. say anything about uh nonsense and meaningless and doesn't it say somewhere that it's a nonsense world i mean every character she says that like several times that no one's making any sense well she says at the very beginning she's talking to her cat dinah and she was saying if she had a world of her own it would be nine it would be nonsense and Mm -hmm. so she is actually kind of bringing that on it's a tulpa of her own creation a a tulpa eric yes what is you just never point in words now no you've never heard of of a tulpa no enlighten me it's well basically not just one person it's like a a group of people think about something hard enough that they essentially will something into existence kind of like um you've heard of the supposed encrypted the rake it was invented essentially on the internet kind of like similar to slender man right but there's been enough like video or supposed sightings of a very similar creature to what the description of the rake is okay that it's it's become quote unquote real yeah so that's kind of the thought process is that this was like a a tulpa that people thought about the existence of this thing so much that it kind of willed it actually into existence but i mean is that the case because she was just dreaming the whole time was she yeah was she yeah was she i mean i guess it depends on what you want it to be but the way i saw it is she was just having a fucked up nightmare but if that was true would Dinah have seen the white rabbit because actually Dinah is the one that sees the white rabbit initially and kind of draws attention to it. Dinah is just as taken aback by it as Alice. Well, maybe she was already asleep. Alice, you mean? Alice, yeah. Dinah's the cat, right? Right. So maybe she was already asleep and then she dreamed that Dinah was like, oh shit, there's a rabbit. <laughs> He's got a little clock. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's possible, but I like to live in the, like, the equally fantastical world that they really did exist. And I mean, it it shows that it's, it's an interesting movie because, like you were saying, it doesn't just shove, here's what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't shove that down your throat, so you can think of it however you want. And with it being a bunch of like gibberish and nonsense like there's that one famous poem where he coins like a bunch of words you know which one i'm talking about the jabberwock yeah exactly and you can apply whatever meaning you want to it 
and like a lot of the little stories that the characters in Alice in Wonderland tell like you can do that for so I mean that's what fantasy is all about is coming up with fantastical things yeah I agree and it's supposed to show like the in my opinion it's supposed to show the imagination of a young girl yeah and I think going back to a statement that I had made with in about across the universe about being a feminist you know uh, I think that Alice in Wonderland is like a great feminist not propaganda because it's not you know beating you over the head with it but I think it, it shows a strong-willed female character that doesn't have any motivations based on a man that right. doesn't have any kind of he's not she's not rescued by a man the only real male character that she has like real meaningful interaction with is the Cheshire cat and he ends up like screwing her over exactly which is kind of like true to life right I mean mm -hmm. like women really have to be on their guard and on their lookout and kind of like or else out and take care of or themselves. else they'll be the oyster to the walrus <laughs> exactly <laughs> see so you got a lot out of it no I hated that part <laughs> Because they ate the oysters? Or? Yeah, they were they were cute, and now they're all dead. <laughs> and then they were talking about cabbages and kings, and yes. just, I, I just cannot stand meaningless things, and I don't know if I went into the movie with the expectation that I wasn't going to like it. I, I saw it as a kid, and I, di I didn't remember any of it. So I think I was just expecting that I hated it back then. <laughs> okay. And honestly, I did not enjoy it. I was just waiting for it to be over. But I did start enjoying it towards the very end, but then it abruptly ends. Like when, when she starts interacting with the queen, that's when there's like actual conflict. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah. I, I feel like it. I would have enjoyed it more if there was more conflict in if they introduced that in like the middle of the movie because it felt like she was just going from one nonsense situation but that's what the world was it was like yeah. a nonsense world so right. i can't i can't have that opinion because that's what they were going for well no but, you can have whatever opinion you okay, want okay well my opinion <laughs> is i wish it had more direction i wish there was i wish that i got something more out of each interaction with the different characters i what i do appreciate is they were very very creative with the designs of all the different creatures mm -hmm. and i love the different flowers and how they had yeah. this like high society like prideful attitude about them and they were being like so nice to her at the beginning because they thought she was a flower right and then when they realized that she wasn't they, she was just a weed to them and exactly. something to get rid of. Yeah. And that's that I can apply like real world situation to. So I liked that part. And they had a uh, they had a tiger lily and a dandelion. I thought yes. that was brilliant. <laughs> but uh, I didn't see it. I was looking away for a split second and apparently there was a cat or pillar and a yes. dog or pillar. Yes. The caterpillar. Yeah. I understand, but a dogger pillar. Also, just more nonsensical stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I, I thought it, that was very clever and a taking plays it on words. From, I mean, it, it's an animated film. 
it, it was meant for children and then it was you know much later on adopted kind of by like the drug or hippie like counterculture but right i mean when it was originally made in 1951 it was a story a very i'll admit nonsensical story adapted for children so it's a bunch of nonsensical set pieces because children have no So let me ask you this. <laughs> It'll just go on and on like this forever. Uh, no, um, I had a point that I was trying to make, and I just I, I lost the. It's a bunch of nonsensical set pieces designed for children because they have very short, limited attention spans, and so that's kind of the way the movie is presented. I I agree. It's you know very disjointed, and when. As soon as we do get any kind of action, uh, meaningful conflict, like you mentioned, it kind of like abruptly stops because also they had to be concerned about the runtime. You know, if they would have extrapolated that, if they would have brought in all the stuff from the Lewis Carroll uh, story, if they would have had like the Jabberwock and all that other kind of stuff. They actually had a previous version that they completely scrapped because Disney, Walt Disney himself had said, no, it's too scary for kids. You got to kind of cut that. So we got the version that we got, which I think is still great and I love, but I can definitely understand, you know, you taking umbrage with it because we're, we're adult men, you know, right. watching a, a children's cartoon. So what does Alice in Wonderland have like nostalgic value to you or what? Tell me why you like it so much. Well, the part of the reason is what I already brought up about it. It portrays a very strong right. female character, which I love. I love, you know, badass women that can take care of their own business and, and don't need uh, a man to, you know, get along in the world. I think it, it hit perfectly for me, like, when I was in the military, when I was a young man. And, you know, my a, a buddy, uh, Tommy, was a, a big fan of it as well and so we had that kind of in common it's also like a fish out of water story you know for her because she goes to a place where she knows no one and she's trying to find her own way and she's you know scared and lonely and and that's kind of how I was you know I was scared and lonely and I was a young person out on my own for the first time trying to find my way in the world and and so I related to that a lot also, in the early to mid-90s is when, like, Marilyn Manson was, was coming into play, and he was adopting, you know, a lot of, like, the, the Cheshire Cat, you know, hats and stockings and all that kind of stuff. So it was the, not only, like, it was a very aesthetic kind of thing that, that encompassed the, the movie. It wasn't just strictly the movie itself. It was, like, everything around it. Mm-hmm. And so it made me want to get the books and read the, the full story, how it was meant to be presented, and actually Disney themselves kind of doubled down on the whole thing because they found out like in the 60s like the the counterculture people dropping acid and smoking weed and uh, experimenting with drugs for the first time this was the movie that they wanted to kind of watch because it is those like well that and Fantasia but this is like the short vignettes you know of just nonsensical shit that we were talking about that you could just trip balls on and watch for five that five minute segment with the caterpillar and watch the letters floating out mm-hmm. of his hookah pipe and be like, oh well look at that. So <laughs> yeah, that's my very long winded rant on yeah, it did it does have a lot of nostalgia. You know, watching it 
just the other day with Megan, it didn't kind of have the same resonance to me now as it did, you know, 20 years ago back then, but uh, it's still important to me. And, and I find that with a lot of music and everything too. Like you, you listen to music and you can still appreciate it, but a lot of times you, you've heard the song so much, you appreciate it so much for what it's for. Like you're listening to it and you know every beat, but you're thinking about other things too, because you know, it just kind of blends in to be, because you've heard it so much, you know, and that's kind of how this movie and a lot of movies are. Like, you, you've seen it so much that it's just ingrained, like, in your soul. And you're also, like, constantly changing as a person. Like, yeah. you're not that scared young man anymore, so right. you don't, it doesn't resonate with you as much. Yeah, but I, I didn't, it wasn't to the point where <laughs> you were saying, like, you were just waiting for it to be over. Like, well, I still I never, appreciate The difference is I never got anything out of it in the first place. Yeah. Like, when you're describing that, it makes perfect sense to me, and I think that's a... That's really cool that it has that kind of value to you. I'm, I think like Moulin Rouge has that kind of stuff for me too, because uh, for a long time when I was like growing up, I had problems with like feeling like sadness, mm -hmm. and for some reason like the combination of the story in Moulin Rouge and the way they integrated the music, very bombastic orchestral music into it, it just it made me feel so sad and I like desperately wanted to feel that way. <clears throat> so I have like huge attachment to that movie. So it's just like you have to yeah. this one. Well, that makes me excited now to, <laughs> to watch it and instead it of dreading it. It is a musical it. though. I, I know, but I mean, to, to hear you say that, just like now you have a new appreciation for Alice. Now I now have a new appreciation going into Moulin Rouge because now I can appreciate how much it means to you. You know, right. just like, I was willing to give Across the Universe a chance because I knew that it meant something to you. I, it's obviously the, the movie that you chose that you wanted to share with me for a reason. And so, you know, even though normally uh, of my own, I never would have sought out that movie, knowing how much it meant to you and knowing that we were going to talk about it, obviously, m made me want to try to have an open mind about it. And so now I have that with Moulin Rouge as well. So I have two questions for you. Yes. The first one, if they made a remake, a present day remake, do you think the uh, the caterpillar would be vaping instead <laughs> of doing hookah? <laughs> it essentially was anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it was smoke. Yeah. Well, but vape has vapor and everything. Right. Like you... So, so is that a yes? He'd be a vape lord. Yes, he he would. Okay, and the second one is. Why do you think you like animated musicals but not live-action <laughs> musicals? Uh, fair enough. I mean, again, I think it's the mostly it's the nostalgia thing, and I think it's the whole kind of... Well, as you know, being to my house, our entire uh, like dining room area yeah. is all Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Specifically, like, animated Alice in Wonderland. But there's art pieces and stuff that I've done on my own, but I have, like, you know, the... The movie posters and the drawing that I did for you back when I was in the Navy of mm -hmm. Alice holding Dinah, which you were graciously gave back to me so I could display, which was really nice. It's more about the aesthetic. It's not so much the fact that it was a musical. Like, I really don't care about a lot of mm -hmm. the songs. It's just all-encompassing, like, that whole piece, Alice in Wonderland, just exists, in, and it's very important to me. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, 
I have in my notes that uh, oh, I looked up Cheshire, and apparently it's a type of cheese. It's an area like of England. And oh, it's actually around Liverpool. Surprisingly, there are a lot of cheese out there. I don't know. I'm not sure. When I say I looked it up, I made Melody look it up, <laughs> and she said it was a type of cheese. So okay. in my notes, I say that the cheese cat is cool because he can go invisible and take his head off. It's <laughs> cool. Another thing about him is like that grin. Like I think that I don't know something about that. Like emo people like really <laughs> love that. And I I think it is really cool looking. Something about it. But when he's when he's just like bopping around and being like a when he's not invisible and just like a disembodied yeah. face, he's he's kind of like a dorky little character, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think he's really cool, yeah, and I he's think awesome. he's like the most probably one of the most iconic characters sure. in it other than like the mad hatter and alice herself right i mean i i guess the caterpillar too but he's in it for like a split second right well and tweedledee and tweedledum but all the characters yeah. i mean it's a... oh, one thing that i did sorry to cut you off no, but one okay. thing that i did think about is like in batman and like dc comics they have so many like villains based on Alice in Wonderland, they have Mad Hatter, they have Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, they have, like, villains based on it. Huh. I was unaware. Yeah, check it out. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so I had some... Oh, so one of the notes, one of the first notes that I had uh, was that when Alice is falling down the the hole at the very beginning of the movie and Dinah is waving down to her... (laughs) That is one of the cutest things, like, <laughs> in recorded history. Do you remember it? Yeah. That is... is it with like, the little paw. Yeah. Dinah, like, just in general, is yeah. adorable. I wish I wish she went down in there with her, but then she would not be alone, so it wouldn't have worked. So, in well, in previous versions, Dinah actually does fall down the hole with her, and then Dinah ends up, like, kind of missing, but then she becomes the Cheshire Cat. Oh. And then, you know, kind of when they're fleeing... The queen, the Cheshire Cat, is going with Alice, and then when she escapes, she turns back into Dinah. Well, that makes sense, too, because wasn't at the beginning, wasn't Alice saying that she wanted to like be able to talk to yes. Dinah? Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. But and I thought it was cute, and one reason that I, I thought that kind of like the whole thing was real and, you know, existed not just like a figment of her imagination, not just her dream world or whatever, was because... She was talking to Dinah, and even though Dinah wasn't obviously able to communicate, like, vocalize, whatever, she was communicating back, and, like, it looked like Alice was, you know, cognizant of what Dinah was saying. Like, Dinah was, like, shaking her head, nodding her head, like, being very expressive, and it kind of seemed like Alice could interpret what she was talking about. So, I don't know, in my mind, even though it makes no sense, I, I want that whole thing to have been real. Like, she really did fall down a rabbit hole, well, and there was this what, hole. If you think it's real, then that's what that's what it is. <laughs> okay. That's, All right. That's and what happened. goes the dynamite. Yeah. It's real. All right, so I had some trivia about this. Oh, we never did any of the stats like we had done for Cross Universe, so... 1951's Alice in Wonderland uh, <laughs> like, that we've been talking like about for 30 minutes half, later. Right? Uh, starring Catherine Beaumont, Ed Wynn, and Richard Hayden, and numerous other people. Written, uh, well, it's based on a story, obviously, by Lewis Carroll, but the Disney version was written by Winston Hebler, 
Ted Sears and Bill Peet directed, the three directors as well, Clyde Geronimi, Wilford Jackson, and Hamilton Lusk. What a cool name, Hamilton Lusk. It, had, it was the 13th animated feature for Disney. It had more songs and characters than any other Disney animated film to that point. I'm sure it's changed since, but uh, it took five years to complete, but it was wow. actually in development for 10 years before it entered active production. So it actually started in 1941, Jeez. like when World War II was going on. Oh, wow. Um, it was the first Disney animated feature to air on television and the first to be released on home video. Originally, it cost $3 million to make. It employed 750 artists. They used 800 gallons of paint, 1,000 different watercolor hues, 350,000 drawings and paintings comprised the animation. Like, think about that. 350,000. Well, I mean, that makes that makes sense that uh, Disney doesn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I can't even imagine, and, you know, spending $3 million on, like, in 1951 money. Like, I don't know what yeah. that is, like, cost of inflation. Probably, like, money. a bajillion. <laughs> Probably. Approximately. Um, yeah, so there, Walt Disney actually considered it a failure initially because it only earned back $2.4 million in its initial run, so they were still, like, $600,000 short, oh, so wow. he deemed it was a failure. But then uh, they had 19... 19- 74 there was a re-release in 1981 there was a another re-release uh to date the movie has earned more than 325 million dollars so not so much of Walt disney's rolling over in his cryo chamber (laughs) (laughs) so i guess that kind of that wraps up alice in wonderland as well unless you had anything else i do not so uh we don't even know how long this episode is but this has been a long first episode but uh, I imagine this deep dive kind of conversation is how we're going to get into all the movies that we deal with, unless we both absolutely really hate them. But why would we <laughs> yeah, pick those? Then movies? it would be like a twenty-minute episode. <laughs> but why would we pick those? You know? Yeah. Unless you tell me like your D movie is Drumline, you know? Well, I, I, if I don't come up with a B movie, you're watching the B movie. <laughs> oh, I love you and I hate you forever. <laughs> oh. Okay, so, um, yeah, that is episode one, in the can, yeah, as they say. Yeah, put a pin in that one. All right, we will see you next time where we're going to, oh, yeah, we still don't know what we're, well, I have my B-movie, but Dylan hasn't picked his B-movie. So. Yeah, it's probably going to be B-movie. Uh, all right, we will see you in a little while with our B. B-R-B. B-R-B. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. Bye. Bye-bye.